Hello there, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano welcoming you to another episode of the Axe Podcast. Today is the uh, eighth Sunday, as I speak, the eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time. And uh, it'll be the last Sunday of Ordinary Time for the next uh, 90 days, actually, before we pick up Ordinary Time again after Easter, because Wednesday uh, begins Lent. It is Ash Wednesday. So we'll go over uh, the the couple of the readings for for today, the, the Gospel reading, the first reading in the Gospel reading, and then you know segue right into a, a preview for Lent. That'll kind of you know tee up what we're going to talk about during the week on for Ash Wednesday, and then uh, just try to wrap up on a few kind of scattered thoughts and reflections on the Just War theory that we started last time. So before we get to that, let's get to this. Our Hail Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I mentioned at the uh, top of the episode, Wednesday coming up is Ash Wednesday, and when we get kind of further into into Lent and and closer to Easter, uh, maybe I'll explain a little more why Easter is celebrated when it is, and why it continues to this day to be somewhat of a of a controversy and something which uh, ends up separating us from our uh, Orthodox brothers and sisters because we have different ways of calculating when Easter is supposed to be. Unlike Christmas, which has been set on December twenty fifth. Easter is based on a on uh, the pla- the placement of Easter is is based on uh, the it's the Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox, and so that varies. That has a you know a several weeks shift from from year to year, and what that really means to us right now is that that even though Ash Wednesday is beginning on on you know this the second of March this year. Uh, which is relatively late. It's not the latest it can be, but it's uh, it's in the, it's in the ballpark. It's in the it's in the neighborhood uh, of the of the latest day that it could be. And uh, the readings for the Sunday previous really aren't necessarily meant to set up <laughs> our observance of Lent, because again, the what week of ordinary time it is could vary uh, by by a few weeks. Uh, sometimes it's, I mean, I think one, I think the earliest uh, is toward the beginning of February, and you might be in the fourth week or fifth week of ordinary time. So the the readings aren't really lined up in a way that that is meant to prepare us in any way for uh, beginning this season of of Lent on on Wednesday. Nonetheless, the readings we have today uh, come pretty darn close, and uh, we'll take a look at them today. Today, right now, um, the first reading comes from Sirach. It's the Old Testament reading, chapter twenty-seven, and uh, it's a short, you know, relatively short reading. And I'll read it for you right now. When a sieve is shaken, the husks appear. So do one's faults when one speaks. As the test of what the potter molds in the furnace, so in tribulation is the test of the just. The fruit of a tree shows the care it has had. So too does one's speech disclose the bent of one's mind. Praise no one before he speaks, 
for it is then that people are tested. And this is just a, a simple kind of admonition to us about two things. One is to to understand that uh, you know if a person speaks long enough, you're going to get to hear what they really think. Uh, you know, many of us, especially in our own present day and age, go to great lengths not to offend and not to say things that might be out of turn. And, and we live in a particularly fussy age when it comes to this. We're actually, um, you know, people can be quite unforgiving if someone says a crossword or a, uh, something that isn't completely in line with what the conventional wisdom is. But what uh, really what Sirach is trying to tell us here, though, is that, that yes, the, the true intentions of the heart will eventually come out, no matter how much a person tries to uh, hide what they really think or really feel, no matter how much they might try to conceal, eventually it will come out. Much like the the husks and the kind of the refuse of the wheat where the grain will be left as the wheat is sifted away. And what you're left with is the, you know, the refuse of the of the wheat or the or the grain or the corn or whatever it is that you're you're sifting. And he's also putting in this other kind of image, it's a rather striking image of of what the potter molds in the furnace and, and the idea that that you know who we are is really tested by tribulation, much like uh, you know uh, pottery is is tested and molded and proven through fire and heat, and so that also you know oftentimes if things are going well and things are going right, uh, it's easier for us to put up that front. Uh, but when the pressure starts coming, when we're in in, in situations. Uh, that are particularly uh, uh, stressful, that sometimes the, the true intentions will come out and the truer words will come out. And as again, if we relate this to the gospel reading we're about to hear, what, what it tells us is that we do need to refine ourselves. We need to use the opportunities that we have uh, for growth because times of testing, times of trial are not punishments from God, but they're opportunities to grow and to really conform ourselves more to, to Christ and to really grow in character. And those moments either strengthen us, and I hate to use the word harden because, you know, in the in scriptural terms, you know, to have a hard heart or to be hardened is not a good thing. But I, I think you know what I mean, that we become proven, we become tested, we become more reliable, more durable, and closer to the Lord, and better able to face up to those difficult challenges of life. That we shouldn't look at the difficult challenges of life, again, as being a punishment, or something so much that needs to be endured as something which strengthens us and hardens us and, and makes us truer images of what it is that the Lord wants us to be. And then the words that come out of our mouth the words that proceed forth from our heart are true reflections of our devotion to Christ and our devotion to the Lord. But the Lord, you know, in the gospel reading today, takes it one step further. And again, this is a part of the uh, sermon on the plane that we've been hearing for the last uh, three weeks. And we're getting toward the end of that, that sermon. And Jesus here is, he's sort of mixing different metaphors and different lessons, and it can appear, at least on the surface, that the things don't really have much in common, 
with each other, but I think that they, in a way that they do, uh, again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples specifically, at least you know, Luke points that out specifically. And the beginning of the reading, uh, Jesus is warning about following blind guides. So just to read the first part, Jesus told his disciples a parable, can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? No disciple is superior to his teacher, but when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye when you do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? Now, how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the splinter from your eye when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? Hypocrite. You hypocrite. Remove the wooden beam first from your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. So Jesus is, is warning his disciples sort of about two things. One, you can make the argument that he's warning us to make sure that we choose really good mentors, that we just not follow uh, the loudest voice or the, the loudest gong, but that we truly seek guides who really are wise, who have walked the walk, and who really have something to offer us. And that in the end, none of us is greater than the Master. None of us is greater than the Lord. Uh, but we can hope to at least come close and to at least uh, be as good as the spiritual masters who we choose and follow. Uh, and on the other hand, those of us, because he knows the disciples are themselves going to be guides. They are going to be looked upon for spiritual guidance and leadership among the people. And he's sort of warning them that before you go out and you start giving advice to people, you need to have your own house in order. And you can't be a hypocrite. You can't criticize people for walking in one direction and for, let's say, living one way when you're not only living that way yourself, but you might even be living worse than that. <laughs> the sins that you have the sins that you're guilty of might even be worse than the than those that of the people you're trying to uh, help and guide. So it's it's a warning on both ends. It's a warning to us of being very careful of you know because especially in terms of spiritual direction, I think especially today in this internet age, uh, the the cult of personality is incredible. Uh, there are really people who follow priests and other uh, lay evangelists online and really put their whole faith and confidence in them. And then when something happens that, that, you know, they're revealed sometimes, not all of them, obviously, but when a few of them are, uh, you know, revealed to have, again, planks in their own eye, uh, their faith is shaken. The, the, the people who follow them, their faith is shaken. And... We have to be very, again, very careful about that. Be careful about who we follow. Use discernment. Okay? If a person is in line with the church, is in line with the gospel that the church preaches, ha should have a, a, an ounce of humility. Because you know, if you don't have an ounce of humility, at least, at least an ounce of humility, 
uh, then you're probably following someone who's walking in the wrong direction, or you might be walking in the wrong direction yourself. So, and then on our own part, if we're going to go out there and perform really what is an essential Christian act of fraternal correction, of correcting a brother or a sister who might be in going down the wrong road, we need to be in right relationship also. We need to be in right relationship also. We need to have examined ourselves and to uh, you know, truly uh, have, have converted ourselves. And understand that conversion is a day-by-day experience. Our Salesian constitutions talk about that, that you know, conversion is a day-to-day experience that we have of every day trying to follow the Lord more closely and more faithfully. And so, yes, remove, remove the planks from our own eye before we go out trying to remove splinters from our brothers and just be careful about who the guides are that we follow and listen to. If, if, a, if a guide is promoting disunity and mistrust and uh, is really seems to be trying to tear down rather than build up, then I, I would be aware of that person. I would be aware of the message they're sending and I, I would just be aware of following them. So as the reading goes on, Jesus tells us, A good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. A good person... Out of the store of goodness in his heart produces good. But an evil person, out of a store of evil, produces evil. For from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, and that's the, that's the whole rest of the gospel reading. So what our Lord is telling us is something, again, that he has said in different ways uh, throughout the gospel, that our external actions need to be reflections of what's truly inside of us. And uh, you know, and as I mentioned before, you know, anybody can fake it for a while in terms of their speech. Uh, it's even much harder, though, I think, to hide it in terms of your actual actions. Uh, Bishop Barron actually has a good reflection on that. Um, maybe I'll link to that. Uh, you know, where he he talks about that that you know people can say they like talk, well, working with the poor, or they can say that they. Uh, you know, that they love the liturgy or they could, you know, you know, say all these things, but but in the end, if they're not if they're not actually participating in the liturgy, or they're not actually taking some concrete action to uh to feed the poor and to uh, clothe the naked when those opportunities arise, then well then we know what the person really thinks. Their words are saying one thing, but their actions are, are showing another. And all this comes from our heart. And so that you know the Lent, this will maybe segue right into our reflection on on Lent uh, uh, that's coming up in a, in a in a couple of days. Lent is about forty days of entering the desert with the Lord to allow Him to purify us. The desert is a place of purification. The desert is a place. Of encounter with the Lord. And just as our Lord spent 40 days in the desert preparing himself and being tempted, okay, well, next Sunday we'll talk about that because that's the, uh, it's always the gospel reading for the first Sunday of, uh, of Lent. 
is uh, our Lord's temptation in the desert. He is tempted and then sort of comes out the other side, ready to go on his mission. For us, Lent is sort of like that. It's a time of purification. It's a time of facing our temptations and our limitations, handing them over to the Lord, and allowing him to purify us. Okay, And there are three main tools that we use during three basic spiritual practices that we use during this season of Lent. One is prayer. The other is fasting. And the other is almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So, you know, I'll do a, an Ash Wednesday uh, episode where these are really going to be focused because they're a part of the gospel reading that we hear on, on Ash Wednesday. Okay, so I'm not going to go too, too deeply into that right now, but these are the three things that are very important. And what they're meant to do, each of them in a way, is to get the focus off of ourselves and onto others. Okay, prayer is meant to focus us on God and to build up that, that personal relationship that we're meant to have with the Lord and allow him to truly enter into our hearts, to take time with him, to allow him to enter into our hearts and to help form and mold our hearts and for him to really speak to us in that small, silent voice that comes to us when we are truly open and listening. Okay, Fasting is, again, meant to take us off of this idea that I, my whole purpose of, to be here in life is just to satisfy my bodily pleasures. That the body is wonderful. You know, I've, I've often said this as, as Catholics, that really we are, we're called to cherish the body. And, you know, there's a reason why we have feasts on the calendar, as well as we have, uh, you know, days of uh, fasting and abstinence. And, and today, and I think it's really always been, even in the days when there were more days of fasting and abstinence on the calendar, uh, the, the feast days far outnumber the days of, uh, of penance. Okay, Lent is 40 days, Easter is 50. Okay, if we spend 40 days preparing for Easter, then we need to spend 50 days celebrating it. And yes, in a way, feasting and rejoicing. So it's not a negation of our bodies or a negation of our of our bodily needs, but it's to say that it, you know truly we do not live by earthly bread alone. And that when we become overly preoccupied with the satisfying of our bodily pleasures, be it food, be it sex, be it sleeping, be it you know any number drinking, be it any number of of uh, you know of kind of sensual or, or sensuous activities, it draws us further and further into ourselves, and these things become almost ends in of themselves, and become the treasure of our heart that we go to pursue. Okay, the satisfying of our stomachs or the satisfying of our libidos, or just the, the satisfying of of our of our pleasure bodily pleasure and comfort in general. And what the Lord is telling us is, no, we need to kind of empty ourselves of those things, understand that our 
dependence is on God alone. Our portion and cup is the Lord alone. And in a way, we also can use this as a form of penance. I know it's not very popular to talk about today, but, you know, offering up a meal once in a while isn't such a horrible thing. Offering it up for our sins and the sins of the world, allowing ourselves to feel those hunger pains, and to, to understand that, you know, there are those that are suffering much worse than we are, and that through this spiritual practice, along with prayer, we really can affect the world. You know, a few days ago in the, in the gospel reading, uh, Jesus uh, and the three of his closer disciples, uh, apostles, Peter, James, and John, are coming down from the hill after the transfiguration. And Jesus and the three others encounter his, the other disciples and some of the scribes arguing with each other. And they're arguing over a young man who was possessed. And that uh, no, none of them seem to be able to expel this demon. And I'm not going to go through the whole reading, but you know, Jesus does then, you know, after consulting with the boy's father, and a bit impatient, might I add, uh, with the whole situation uh, of disbelief and of uh, uh, and of bickering, our Lord doesn't like bickering very much. Uh, that's something you pick up from the from the scripture reading. He does actually then liberate this 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 boy or young man, not sure, from this demon. And later on, when the disciples asked him, "Why is it that they couldn't?" Uh, expel this this evil spirit. Jesus says to them, well, you know, some can, this kind can only be expelled by prayer. Now, this was the, uh, I believe, the Markan account. There's another account in one of the other Gospels, I forget if it's Matthew or, or Luke, where it's added prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So fasting, too, can have a spiritual effect. You know, our sacrifices that we make do rise up to the Lord as a form of prayer, and he will listen to that. And so we should take that opportunity and allow him both to purify us, to focus us more more intently on on him, as well as the needs of our brothers and sisters. And that's certainly where giving alms comes in. Again, and there's a connection between the fasting and abstinence and the uh, giving of alms. Because it, it's a spiritual exercise. The, you know, the, the giving up of meat on Fridays and the fasting and abstinence on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, uh, they have a spiritual significance, but they also have a, a practical meaning which really has to do with saving money, eating more simply, organizing our lives in a, in a simpler way, and then with the money we save, we give that to the poor. Okay, we offer that as alms. You know, certainly we're, the Lord asks us to even give out of our, not just out of our surplus, but out of our necessity, but certainly this is a way of creating an excess, okay, of creating, you know, money that then, you know, instead of being used on ourselves, 
can be used on others. Okay, I know it's it's also popular to tell you know that there's people that will go through fasts, uh, social media fasts, or will not watch television, or or will not uh, you know, let's say use the internet, or you know there's other things they will you know a media fast. There's other things that people will do, and that's good. All right, I'm not I ain't knocking it. But we, but when we think about what, how we're going to kind of fast and how we're going to abstain, we need to really, you know, keep this in mind too. You know, you know, technically, you know, lobster. I don't know about in your part of the world, but lobster is considered a a, a luxury item where I live. Uh, so I mean, you could eat lobster on Friday, and it still fits the letter of the law. But you could ask, does it really fit the the spirit of what that law? is meant for, which is, again, to open us up to a greater sharing and to open us up to, again, not being so focused in on ourselves, but focused out on others. So I am going to leave that right here because, uh, again, we're going we're gonna to have an Ash Wednesday edition. I'll try, try to get that up on, on Tuesday at some point. But, uh, but just know that, yeah, the readings for, for this Sunday really do have, in a sense, a connection and a way of, of preparing us for what's going to be coming up uh, on Wednesday, which is which is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, which, by the way, is my favorite liturgical season of the year. People get freaked out when I say that, but it's the truth. Love Lent. And maybe I'll go into a little more why I love Lent so much then. Okay, that's it with that. And I'm just going to uh, follow up with a few kind of scattered thoughts to wrap up uh, the just war theory topic that I began the other day. So just to uh, kind of, you know, wrap up and, you know, somewhat uh, the topic of the just war theory that we started talking about uh, last episode, uh, you know, what I laid out were the general criteria which the church has taught over the years. Obviously, you know, Pope Francis still is praying very intensely and asking us to do the same and maybe offering up our our Wednesday fast for the cause of peace. Uh, and that, you know, even now, uh, there might be a, a cessation of, of, uh, of conflict and of war right now. And in fact, he made a visit personally to the Russian uh, consulate in Rome to make his own uh, personal appeal and concerns known. And again, we, we have these criteria and, uh, Again, that there should be a just cause that the that that you're fighting for, you know, mainly the protection of innocent life and the elimination or the either the ending or the avoidance of uh, genocide. That you know, war should only be declared by a, a competent authority, like a government, uh, that itself is is accountable, uh, that it's a last resort after all other, you know, diplomatic and uh, economic. Uh, you know, means have been exhausted, that there's a reasonable chance of victory, that the goal, the, this proportionality, that the, the, the goal that's trying to be met, uh, you know, isn't going to cause more evil than, you know, the evil that's trying to be uh, eradicated, that we have the right intention that we're going into this not out of revenge and not out of uh, conquest or greed, but truly with the intention of uh, really only doing what has to be done in order to protect the innocent and to uh, end uh, genocide. Uh, 
and that once the war has begun, that proportionality is used. That you know more force is you know than necessary is not used, and that that civilian populations are not targeted. These are the basics of the just war theory. Now there are many that would would say there are many who are pacifists who will say that under no circumstances is is war uh, permissible. That it's clearly against you know gospel values to take up arms and to uh, have armed resistance whatsoever. There are others who are not pacifists per, per se, but will say that in our own day and age with the weapons of mass destruction, uh, specifically nuclear weapons that we have, and uh, really with, with the impossibility really now of separating civilian populations from where wars are fought, that war has become just... The, 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 the conditions... To, the the conditions that would need to be met can't be met. That these that these conditions I've just laid out just don't exist at all under any circumstances today. Uh, and certainly, as we see the the war unfolding uh, in the Ukraine right now, we can see that even though uh, you know President Putin has claimed that he's not targeting civilians and that uh, he's actually told his soldiers to uh, you know to follow. Uh, you know, essentially, we don't talk about the Geneva Conventions anymore. But you know, to follow what has traditionally been, you know, the policy of not, you know, if someone surrenders, you give them quarter. You don't, uh, you know, there's no summary executions. That you, you know, and supposedly he's trying to avoid uh, destroying infrastructure. Um, you know, he has, you know, he has also uh, now the latest reports is that he's uh, put his uh, nuclear. Uh, capabilities on on high alert. He's put uh, the whatever division of his military that's in charge of uh, running their nuclear weapons. He's put them on on high alert. Uh, yeah. So you know this is not easy. Uh, I think most of us here in the West, our hearts are with Ukraine, and our intentions are with Ukraine. Uh, but this really does have a chance of spiraling out of control. And I, I, I don't think that there's a simple right or wrong answer. Because I could see doing nothing as emboldening uh, Russia. Uh, because, you know, I, I believe that that President Putin is not looking even to rebuild the Soviet Union. And I don't believe that he thinks of himself as Stalin. He might better think of himself as Peter the Great, the Tsar Peter the Great, and this idea of setting up a pan-Russian uh, you know, federation. And that's going to mean going into other areas. And you know, there's a traditional link between Russia and the, the Balkans. Uh, you know, as I was talking with a, you know, one of our members of community who's, a, who's Polish, uh, and I made the comment that well, don't the Russians see themselves as the protectors of of the Balkans? And he was very quick to point out, well, I don't know if the Balkans look at the Russians as their protectors, though. And I, I get you know a distinction very well made, but but nonetheless, that was part of what kind of set World War One off was that you had you know Russia uh, uh, seeing itself you know up against the. The Austro-Hungarian Empire, in part over 
the things that were going on in the Balkans, uh, what today we, we call the former Yugoslavia and the Czech Republic and, you know, those countries in, in there, Albania and different, you know, places in there, uh, you know, would, would he seek to go into those territories in the name of, again, protecting Slavic people? Uh, would he go in to try to get the former Soviet republics uh, that are, you know, uh, on the Baltic? Uh, would he try to go into Finland? You know, Russia has tried to go into Finland uh, in the past when it was the Soviet Union. And that's a complicated history that I admit I don't know, you know, completely about. So, you know, if you do nothing, does war continue anyway? If you go to war, uh, do we, does things just get escalated to the point of that, you know, we do, you know, face the possibility of the use of nuclear weapons? Um, this is all, you know, not easy. Uh, you know, I, I, as I, you know, told the people, as I said last night at mass, you know, my attitude usually when these things happen in the world is that we shouldn't worry. We live our life, you know, uh, you know, as I tell kids, you know, uh, you know, school is going to, you're going to have school on Monday. So do your homework. <laughs> all right. Don't think that somehow, uh, you know, things are going to change that radically in the world. You know, be ready, go to work, fulfill your responsibilities, do your homework. Uh, you know, this time around, I say the same thing, but I, you know, I can't lie. I, as I pointed out the last time, I, I really do feel like we've, we've entered into a new area now. We've entered into a new era and a new epoch. epoch. And I, I'm not sure that things are going to be quite the same again. Uh, in the world, or maybe even in our in our nation, and that while we still need, I think the wise and the prudent thing is to just you know do our work, fulfill our responsibilities, and keep our heads about us, and not to uh, you know not unnecessarily worry ourselves. At the same time, get the confession. If you're if you're alienated from a brother. If there's a member of your family that you're not getting along with and maybe you haven't talked to in a long time, maybe try to reach out and make a reconciliation. You know, if you've got a parent or a child who you've been distanced from, you know, let's, you know, maybe try to mend that relationship. Let's make sure that we're in right relationship with God and, may, and that we're in right relationship with our brothers and sisters. And that if we are, you know, walking on the wrong path, uh, let's take this Lent in a very particular way to, you know, come and, you know, come back to the Lord and to walk on the right path. It's, it's not a time for panic. It's not a time, certainly not a time to despair. Uh, but it's a time to be sober and alert and to know that our, our opponent, the devil, is, is crouching ready to devour us. And uh, we need to be aware of him and his presence and his desire not so much to destroy our bodies, but to destroy our souls and to maybe use this time of crisis as a way of discouraging us, as a way of beating us down spiritually. 
and to resist that, resist those temptations, and to know that, you know, following the Lord's will doesn't mean that everything is going to end in this world uh, fine and dandy, that there's going to be the Hollywood ending. Okay, it doesn't, following the Lord's will doesn't mean that. Following the Lord's will means living our Lord's will today in the circumstances that we are, and that God's will for us is to live that store of good which is in our heart in the face of whatever obstacle and in the face of whatever enemy even. Uh, but to know that he is there, he is with us. Continue to pray. Continue to pray for the people of Ukraine. Continue to pray for the, the church in Ukraine, both obviously the Catholic, uh, Ukrainian Catholic Church, but also obviously the Orthodox Church. Uh, church, Ukrainian church. Uh, uh, Kiev is the, uh, is the center of uh, Ukrainian orthodoxy. And so we, we pray for them, we pray for that church, we pray for the faithful. Uh, there are reports of uh, people praying together in the subways as they take shelter, of priests actually offering the Eucharist in these places as well. Uh, pray and fast, and give alms, and just live the right way today. Live the right way today. Live the right way in our relationship with the Lord. Live the right way in our relationship with others. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. I thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate really all of you who, uh, who click. I ask you to please uh, you know, share, like, Thumbs up, however approval is shown. And share, you know, if you like what you hear, please share with others. And uh, know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And until the next time, God love you. Bye-bye.